its beaches and inlets to its forests and heathlands, Suffolk is a wonderful place to visit, but a great place in which to live. And yet what makes Suffolk so fantastic isn't just its natural scenery and wonderful open skies, it's the people who inhabit this wonderful county. Suffolk is full of extraordinary people, of amazing businesses and staggeringly helpful community groups. So the reason why we've put this podcast together, the reason why we have the Suffolk Money podcast is that we have found that there are only three things we can do with money. We can spend it, we can save it, or we can give it away. So we speak with community groups and charities to which we can give. We talk with independent financial advisors and money experts about our savings. And we talk with entrepreneurs and business leaders about places in which we can spend our money. This is a series of podcasts supported by Kingsfleet Wealth Independent Financial Advisors. So it's uh, really good to be able to speak with Karen Rees, who runs the Tiny Tipple Company. Uh, So we're going to find out about what you do, Karen. I'm I'm fascinated. In, in In essence, what's the business all about? The business is about making infused spirits and liqueurs. I'm just using lovely, fresh, proper fruit, uh, much of which I grow myself, pick myself. And what what I can't grow myself or pick myself is is all grown locally in East Anglia. So let's just unpack that a little bit about um, the the nature of the things that you do. So that might be gins, vodkas, that type of spirit. Is that where it lies to, to the uninitiated who can't tell the difference between one spirit and another how do how do they all come about yeah so i i use i i did start sort of down the gin route but i realized um quite quickly that not everybody loves gin perhaps as much as i do so we do vodka base we do a rum base whiskey base and brandy base um all um sort of flavored with fruits berries and and, and blooms such as elderflower um, so there really, you know, should be something for everybody. And we, I try and um, suit the fruity flavours to the spirit. So I'm not going to put, for example, an elderflower with a heavy sort of spirit, such as a whiskey or a brandy that goes with, say, a, a gin or a vodka, the lighter spirit. So try and sort of, you know, match the, the fruit with the, with the spirits, make a nice marriage of flavours. Mm. So it'd be really good to just, we'll come back in a little while and just explore the whole, what do you start with? What raw ingredients do you use? All of those side of things. That's, that sounds uh, something that we really ought to unpack, but let's just go back a little bit and just understand how you came about starting the business. Yeah, so um, my, my background is actually from travel. Um, ever since I was first went on holiday in the early 1980s we were lucky enough to go abroad I just fell in love with travel um, I wanted to be an air hostess I wanted to be a travel rep um, you know I just didn't want to be at home in the UK I wanted to be abroad exploring um, and that bug never ever left me so I um, attended college and did travel and tourism course um, I then um, was lucky enough to get a full-time job in a retail travel company I then moved about, um, went into business travel and then into marine and offshore travel. 
So I didn't actually make it as cabin crew or a holiday rep, but I did um, travel quite a bit through my, my days working in travel. And I actually spent about nearly 30 years working in travel uh, before my children arrived. I then um, went part-time as a lot of mums do. Um, and then I, my, my sort of outlook on life changed. I didn't want to be traveling down to London for meetings. I didn't want to be um, having to visit clients, getting up at silly o'clock when I've got two children that need their mum there. So uh, myself and Amanda at the time decided um, to set up a business together. And at the time we, we didn't really know what we, we wanted to do. Um, we'd always made infused spirits and various sort of fruit wines, et cetera, when we were sort of going to each other's for dinner parties. Um, so Amanda sort of just said, why don't we do what we've always been doing and um, set up a business making infused spirits and, and liqueurs. Where did you first come to that conclusion that it was a good move was, to create a business? Yeah, it was about September, um, probably about six years ago in the school playground. Is it really? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> School playground drove you to, to drink or at least the yeah. sort of making it. <laughs> we, we do always laugh that our children drove us to drink, but that's, that's not true at all. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, it, obviously, gin and flavoured spirits and so on has become sort of quite a popular thing over the last few years. But from just sort of looking at the timeline, it sounds like this is something that you just have always been doing. Yeah, we didn't foresee the sort of explosion of popularity of gin at the time. Um, but hence why we sort of did vodka and, and whiskey and brandy as well. We didn't sort of specialise in gin. But, um, obviously, as we all know, gin has, has exploded. Um, and to be fair, the, the gin flavours, everybody comes to our, our stall at events. What gins have you got? What gins have you got? So gin is still there, um, even though there was rumours that vodka was going to be the new gin or rum was going to be the new gin. Gin is still top of the top of the tree so to speak um so yeah we we basically sort of from that that conversation in the playground in September we spent about six months um doing market research looking at other brands um looking to see if there would be a market for our drinks um looking at all the legalities the certificates also looking at the, the more exciting things like labels bottles company name what flavors were we going to do initially so that we sort of meet for coffee and cake most mornings <laughs> <laughs> and um, have a, a big folder and long list of jobs and things to do and we'd each allocate ourselves a job to do sort of for that week and then meet up again and discuss what we'd found out so um, all, all very exciting um, but, you know you, you do sort of date yourself you know is it going to happen are people going to buy our drinks you know, if and when they do materialise. So um, six months, we, we did spend a good six months just looking into everything. That's um, quite an unusual process because I think there's a lot of people who, when they want to start a business, they just dash headlong into, you know, the production and then hope that they'll find some way of selling it or, um, you know, they'll offer the service without necessarily doing all the background work. But to spend six months doing that amount of preparation, that's that's needs quite a lot of patience. Yeah, well, we'd already sort of by September, we'd already missed the sort of Christmas fairs and markets anyway. Um, so we knew we, we weren't going to be up and running in time for the, for the big sort of Christmas events. 
Um, also, we knew that a lot of the, um, the drinks were going to take a few months to make. Um, you know, we'd, we'd always made slow gin, which can take four months up to a year or even longer to make. So uh, we knew we weren't just going to appear overnight with some lovely drinks for everyone to try. We, we knew it was going to take quite a bit of time. Um, so it, as it was winter as well, um, you know, it was quite a good time to sort of experiment and um, you know, we, we gave a lot of drinks to family and friends to try. So um, we, had a lot, we had a lot of volunteers, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, that's, but did you, were you then able to shape what you then offered based on the feedback that you got? Or did. did you ignore some of that feedback, be honest? <laughs> we, we didn't actually, to be fair. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the Great Taste Awards. There's sort of a national worldwide award system. Um, you might see a lot of the stickers in sort of supermarkets and various shops. Um, so it's a great taste award. You can get a one star, two star, three star. So our rhubarb gin we put in um, initially for the great taste awards. Um, didn't win any, any stars, but did get some really good feedback. In fact, that it was um, beautiful colour, lovely rhubarb flavours, but it was far too sweet. So we took that on board. We halved the amount of sugar that we put in sent it off the following year and we won a one star for it mm. so we didn't react from their constructive criticism yeah we also made um straw it was a strawberry flavor we wanted to do a strawberry gin so we did a, a strawberry and um mint a strawberry and basil and i think it was a strawberry and lavender just made very small amounts of each gave them out to sort of family and friends to try and, and they all said the strawberry and basil was the winner. So we, to this day, we still do a strawberry and basil gin, which really? again is, is a really, yeah, a really lovely summery one. So, goodness, it's not um, necessarily uh, a combination that I would have thought of, but obviously that's where your taste buds are, and that's why you do what you do, which is, which is amazing. So you use this six months of prep, sort of getting people to taste things, and then you said also about your branding and your marketing. What work did you do there? So looking at other companies, there weren't many companies that actually did what we were planning to do. A lot of them were doing like the full strength gin. Um, we also found that a lot of the labels were very sort of had a bit of a masculine feel, quite dark, black, grey, not particularly colourful in any way. So we decided we wanted to um, perhaps appeal to, I don't know, more sort of feminine hedgerow feel. So our logo now is... Um, like a sort of basically like a hedgerow with berries in, in fruit and um, sort of different colours. So the, the main logo is green, but we've got um, like a little butterfly on each of the labels and that reflects like more or less the colour of the drink inside the bottle. Um, so like rhubarb gin is like a little pink butterfly and the rhubarb gin's in pink font. Black currant brandy's like in more of a purple colour. So we do get a lot of luckily get a lot of feedback from people to say wow your labels are amazing and I feel really proud that we designed those but, you know, we're not we're not um technical designers or anything like that so we did we worked with a friend who is and he sort of guided us and helped us and look after a lot of going backwards and forwards we did finally agree on the final logo goodness so I'm really intrigued at this six months of just getting things to get prepared and admittedly as you quite early say which I just didn't really think about <laughs> you need probably several months for those um, things to come together and you know to actually prepare and manufacture 
Um, so you then were, were ready for springtime. Was that your objective to be ready for the next spring? Yeah, so we'd ordered um, some bottles that we thought, obviously corks and little um, capped seals for the top, the labels. Um, and the first event that we had booked in to do was at um, Strut Your Mart. It's, on, it's the Ben Acre Estate. It's like a doggy event, mm -hmm. a handful of stalls. We were there, sun was shining, feeling really proud. And we, I think we sold, say, 10 bottles or something. We were just over the moon to think, wow, people are buying our, our drinks. And then the following weekend, we did the Beckles Food and Drink Festival. Um, we took a few more than 10 bottles and we sold out. So we were like, whoa, you know, what, what next? You know, that we can't just, it's not like baking a loaf of bread. We can't just make it up early in the morning and make it. It's, we need to sort of make sure we do plan ahead and I think that's one another thing um you know I'm already sort of thinking about Christmas next year what, what I'm going to have ready because I'm, I'll need to start thinking about that in the springtime um and that would therefore mean picking berries now and put them in put them in the freezer ready to next spring when I can start making to get ready for the Christmas event next year so I have yeah. to always be on my toes with regards to um, what I have available and what I'm going to make yeah. So um, uh, ooh, I'm just trying to sort of get this straight in my mind, how this all worked. So you um, had the ideas, took some time to plan them and started to prepare a few different drinks that you felt might well work come the spring. Um, what sort of level of production were you at then? How many uh, bottles would you have, say, had in your store when you started on that first, um, you know, that first weekend, the first stall that you had we, we probably had 100 bottles say for example in you know ready to go of various flavors so we'd only perhaps made say um 10 bottles of each flavor we do about um 15 or 16 flavors now which is all seasonal it's not all available at the same time mm. um, i'm not going to have say a, a slow whiskey ready in july for example because i know it's just not going to really sell um so it, it depends on what mother nature can give us with regards to the fruits what i can grow um if if we we go out say slow picking for example and, we, and the slows aren't there we we don't make it so we don't buy in from abroad or anywhere we just we just can't make it and we, if we do have a glut of fruit we tend to freeze it anyway so mm -hmm. i've actually got quite a few slows in the freezer still from last year so i won't have to pick as many this year so that's quite good so i've, I've yeah. got three big chest freezers that i could keep the fruit in right but if I, I'm not able to make it straight away, so that's quite handy. Also, a lot of fruit is better frozen anyway, like the slows are better after a frost. So we often don't get a frost um, this early in the year. So it just makes it easy to put them in the freezer. So, yeah, with that initial production, then you sold a few at your first exhibits um, and, and first, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, sort of festival, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, events, <laughs> why can I think <laughs> of that word? So in your first events, you uh, you sold a few, and then what did you then do? Did you then say, oh, this, this is great, we'll just focus on these um, drinks that have sold well, uh, and then just put the money back into that, or how, how, how did you sort of address that? We did, yes. We we initially both put in um, the same amount of money, just a small amount of money, just to get us going, because um, we only ordered a small amount of bottles, labels, um, and, and we just made small amounts of, of each flavour. 
Um, and then, so therefore the money that came in, we just sort of reinvested. We didn't really pay ourselves a wage at that point because um, myself and Amanda were still at, at the point of um, starting the business. We were both still working part-time in our other jobs. So um, it was it was getting that balance right with Tiny Tipple and my, my other paid job. Um, so we, we did invest the money back into the, the company for probably a couple of years. Obviously, expenses taken aside. Um, we, we then looked at um, stockists. So, you know, the events were absolutely fine, very time consuming. Uh, you have to pay, obviously, a pitch fee to be there. Um, so very time consuming. So we also wanted to try and get into stockists as well. So um, farm shops, delis, restaurants, pubs, that sort of thing. Um, so I think we sort of started off, we were in um, snake maltings um, shop there initially. So that we we had a meeting there and so they were our first ever stockists and um, so that was going to we just sort of grew from there just um going around me you know knocking on doors really going in and seeing um like the food buyer manager taking a bottle in let us know what you think and we have a conversation so yeah we didn't have all our eggs in the events basket we, we had the stockists as well so that was um you know quite nice to get out there and showcase our products uh, with regards to restaurants and pubs, we um, can like um, give advice on like cocktail ideas and serving suggestions. Our drinks can also be put into desserts as well. So like eat and mesh, you could put the, the infuse the strawberries in the strawberry and basil gin, for example. So you know, lots of it's not just a case of drinking. You can put them in food and make jellies and things as well. So that's funny. All these different try ideas. Really, try and really sell ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow, that's fantastic ideas. So how, how has it developed now? So um, how many different stockists do you have of your of your wares or even how many restaurants and pubs would take your drinks? We have over 20 now, which might not seem like many, but considering I do most of the deliveries myself, uh, we don't tend to have, like to sort of clear around in case they get broken, but sometimes we do have to. Um, so, um, yeah, and it is, again, nice to, rather than just speaking to somebody on the phone or via email, it is nice to actually go in there and meet them, um, see the shelf where your products are going to be, you know, help with sort of um, point of sale as well, that sort of thing, pricing. Um, so, yeah, I do like to get out and, and meet, um, you know, my customers and the, and the stockists. Um, so I, if I'm sort of passing by, I'll always give them a buzz to say, oh, you know, do you need anything on passing? So, yeah, it's, it's good. And by comparison to when you started, what would you be producing at the moment in terms of numbers? Of Not drinks? as much as I'd like to be. <laughs> it's just been <laughs> ambitious. As soon as it's bottled, it's, it's gone, it's sold. So, um, Goodness. yeah, I could do with, I've probably got, bearing in mind, I, I've got about... 10 flavors on the go at the moment so I probably when I make a batch now I make about 200 bottles of each flavor mm. so I do a I do a half a liter bottle 500 ml and also um a 200 ml bottle so when I'm making a batch now I'm, I, I usually make um a batch of about six, 50 60 plus liters and then I'll right. when I rack it off divide that up between large and sort of small bottles so yeah, the small bottles are nice. We do like a little trio pack as well, so people can choose like three different flavors to go in the little box. So they're really nice gifts. 
Yeah, very good. So, um, so uh, you you sort of started this. It's obviously grown. Um, how? Well, we, one thing we haven't talked about is where you make this. So, how did it start? What's happened subsequently? So, the initially, Amanda and I both started in our own kitchens. Uh, we don't live too far from each other, um, but we did sort of clear out our garages, and we used to make it in our kitchens. Uh, which resulted in quite a sticky floor um, and a dining room table full of booze. <laughs> so my children would often have to eat their tea on lap trays. Um, we soon realised that we just couldn't grow any any further from our homes. Um, so we, we looked around for, for a unit. We did find a, a really lovely unit, Not again, not too far from our homes, probably a lot bigger than we really needed, but there wasn't really anything else Sort of around at the time so um we, we leapt into our new unit with great gusto <laughs> and, and had a couple of three really happy years there um you know it was quite it was an expensive luxury but we we just felt that we couldn't grow anymore working from our homes and maybe people didn't take us seriously enough like the bigger companies um and then unfortunately after of the, the Brexit, Brexit thing, the COVID thing, we've just made the decision now to, to come out of the unit and, and relocate back home, albeit I do have um, storage and, and like an office, you know, off-site, so I can, I haven't got to just make it at home anymore, I can, you know, get out, change the scenery. So, so originally you were, were in this uh, unit in Alton Broad, is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, whereas now you're, what, back in your village? Yeah, back in Blunderston, which is lovely. So yeah, I'm really lucky because a friend's um, a friend who owns a farm um, in the village. His wife um, does beautiful dried flower arrangements for weddings and wreaths making and stuff. Um, and they've got like a little um, unit next to where she makes that. So I'm up up there in most of the day. Most days I'm up there, um, and she's next door, so it's really nice. So we're sort of both running businesses together, completely different but um, probably quite quite a good match, actually, because she's, like, very country as well. So uh, we're up there in our welly boots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with all your stickiness, as you were suggesting earlier. Well, yes, exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds great. So uh, what, what changed with the business then, with um, the pandemic? Because, obviously, everyone's had an opportunity to perhaps reappraise how they run their business, what involvement they have, what time commitment. It's, it's given you know although no one perhaps wanted that experience I'm sure we would all agree with that um it has given people an opportunity to perhaps take another look at what they're doing how's it impacted you yeah it's impacted massively the the, the Brexit thing we just found that the whole year when it was sort of are we are we in or are we out people just seem to be too scared to sort of put their hands in their pockets and 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 spend their money so that was sort of the first year we you know our profits sort of came down a little bit and then of course we had um covid so all our all our stockists closed all our events we've got booked were cancelled we do talk sometimes as well for groups obviously they all got cancelled so um what we did actually do was invest in our website so initially we had a very quite a basic platform website we did um, invest quite a lot of money into a brand new website. So 
um, that has really paid off over COVID and that has kept us ticking over. And then coming up to June this year, you know, we just made a decision that we, we couldn't really afford to keep in the unit anymore. Um, obviously we were too big to move everything back to our homes again. Um, but luckily my friends said that I could rent this, this place at the farm. So it's all worked out well in the end. Mm. And um, what about between the two of you? Obviously it was the two of you started the business. How, how has that progressed? Yeah, so sadly, Amanda decided earlier this year that she didn't want to continue with the business, um, I, which I completely understand. And we're still really good friends. She's still going to be my chief taster when I invent some <laughs> new flavours. Um, yeah, she she just decided she'd, for personal reasons, she didn't feel that she could continue back home again. So this this all happened before I was off the, the, the unit at the farm. I, so, yeah, so... So I'm on my own now, so I'm even tinier now. <laughs> it's just me. Um, but my husband tiny works full time. Yes, yeah, he's, right. um, he's been brilliant. My mum and dad have been out fruit picking for me. My son has helped me with the events the last couple of weekends. So I'm just really lucky I've got such a lovely family. And, you know, I know Amanda would help me out if I got really stuck. So, yeah, she'll always be there. She'll always be part of it. Yeah, but that's really nice that um, just because you've made separate decisions about your involvement and those decisions are appropriate for your own individual circumstances that you've still kept in, in good relationships with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if it wasn't for Amanda, you know, we, we both input different things into the business. We, we had a perfect partnership, in it, you know, and if it wasn't for Amanda, the tiny tip of the company wouldn't have grown like it has um so you know the tiny tipple company will always be born of two busy mums who had a conversation in the playground um but but now it's just me on my own and you know things I always believe things happen for a reason and I think you've got to see positives in everything so although Amanda's not there with me every day um I can make the decisions on my own now um, I can decide to what you know everything so from that respect it's a little bit easier perhaps yeah how do do you find that though because it doesn't always sit well with everybody of suddenly having to make all their own decisions my husband does get a bit of an ear bashing at the dinner table (laughs) on the evening (laughs) if I'm saying can you just look at this on on the laptop he said I've been sitting and looking at a computer all day I really don't want to sit here in the evening looking at a computer anymore no, they've, they've all been brilliant and they completely understand everything what's happened. You know, they can see how much the company means to me and how I really want to push forward with it now. You know, a lot of companies don't survive the first five years and we're now in our six year of trade. And so I think everything what, what has happened in the past couple of years, you know, I sh- we should be really proud of ourselves. I, I know mm. a lot of small businesses haven't, haven't survived. Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, bearing in mind that one of the reasons why you set the business up was the whole work-life balance situation. Um, as you say, children at school and and so on. How, how do you view that now, now that you've got more responsibility and having to make all the decisions? Is it still working? Yeah, and I think um, I used to sort of get a bit of fear of missing out before. I'd go to an event, talk to a friend on another stall, and they'd say to me, Oh, are you doing such and such event next week? And I panic a bit thinking, no, I'm not. Should I be doing that? What? You know, well, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Why am I not doing that? Whereas now 
I'm not sort of grabbing it, going to try and grab every event. I, you know, I've, I've just done sort of four, five weekends in a row working. So I've gone about four or five weeks of seven days a week working and I've got a few weekends off now, whereas I, I could fill them with events, but I've got two massive events in November. So I just need to focus on those and prepare myself for those. Um, so, yeah, it is, you know, I, I do want to push the business ahead. I do want to think of some new flavours, um, but I'm, I'm quite happy now with everything. I'm really, really lucky. I've got a brilliant work-life balance. I can bike to work or walk to work, be here when my children get home, um, you know, and work when I, when I want to work or when I have to work. So I guess perhaps got to work a little bit harder, but that's absolutely fine. So I've had some really good, you know, some nice sort of comments from the, from the customers as well. So, and that, that makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. So whilst creating a business that sort of fits into your lifestyle and, and allows you the family time that you, you consider um, so, so critically important, that's obviously a core aspect of the purpose of the business. How, how else would you sum up the, the purpose of the business? Because it seems as though you've got some very clear objectives about what you're working with and, and, and whom. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to go down the supermarket route, really. I, um, I just, you know, I've, I'm quite proud of the fact that I'm not in a supermarket. I've had spoken to friends who run businesses who were in supermarkets, and they just get pummeled down on the price, and it's just not worthwhile. I don't really want to have that conversation. I don't want to have to like um, go down the sort of factory route you know I don't want to have to buy in slows or buy in you know strawberries from abroad because I'm too busy to pick them or grow them or source them locally I, I want to keep to my ethos of only using locally sourced produce mm. and I think if I did grow the business more I think I, I wouldn't be able to um, keep with that ethos so mm. to be keeping small ticking over speaking to my lovely customers at events and the stockists you know that, that I love doing that so if, if it got so big I wouldn't probably be doing all of that I'd probably give it to someone else to do yeah. <laughs> so well why does the why does the local thing matter so much to you it, it clearly does because it's, it comes across in everything that you've been discussing this uh, in our conversation but why why is it so important to you to have local things I think it's because there's, there's a number of reasons. Firstly, we're just the, the part of the world we live in. We're so lucky to have all the lovely hedgerow fruits and you know, I've got, I can walk to my allotment. Um, and, you know, just making use of all the beautiful sort of fruits and berries and blooms that mother nature gives us. Um, another reason is because I tasted quite a few I don't know, slow gins or rhubarb gin. And you sort of think, has that slow gin ever seen a slow? Has that rhubarb gin ever been near a piece of rhubarb? <laughs> it doesn't taste like the fruit it's supposed to taste like. So I wanted to make sure that we use you know, proper real fruit, not essence of, not an artificial flavour, you know, proper real fruit and all the colours in the bottles as well. They, there's, there's no colours I put in. That is just the colour from the fruit. So... You know, I make a wild plum, which is a beautiful, almost it's like a Lucasade orange colour. Yeah. 
there and it's absolutely gorgeous and that is from that fruit it's not anything other than colors from that fruit so i don't use any preservatives or artificial colors or flavors that everything is just from that fruit so you know that's another reason why i want to keep it local i don't you know i don't want to buy why would i buy strawberries from poland when we've got beautiful strawberries growing in norfolk absolutely well that's uh, yeah it seems so again you're just sort of really concerned about you know your reputation from a perspective of what what goes in the bottle you know where it's from and you can um account for it and yeah that, that's really important stuff yeah every bottle has a batch number on the bottom so if anyone could phone me up or email me and give me the batch number and i can tell them exactly where that fruit grown in that bottle goodness me <laughs> yeah, that's it's not everybody who can say that how, how do you see the market developing then um karen in all of this because you know it's the I'd say is the gin market becoming saturated because obviously it's a difficult subject but what, what what do you think about that? Yeah I mean I've just done an event last weekend and there wasn't many many stalls there um, but out of the stalls there was 14 drinks companies mostly doing just gin they're you know plain full strength gin and I did actually, Amanda and I did look at distilling our own. We did go down that route. We went on a course and we just thought, you know what? There's so many people doing that. Why don't we just stick to what we are doing? Um, we have to call ours liqueurs by law because they have a bit of sugar in and also they're not full strength ABV. Um, and a lot of people say, oh, what? you know, are they liqueurs? And the word liqueur to me, I hate that word. It's a very... 1970s word it doesn't sound very appealing but we have to call them that but the, the beautiful thing about a liqueur is you can just drink it on its own with a little bit of ice it's not going to burn your throat you're going to get them gorgeous fruity flavors um and you can mix it as well you can put them with prosecco elderflower cordial or tonic so there's lots of different ways you haven't just got to drink it with a gin and tonic like you know with a tonic like you would a normal gin so there's so many lovely mixers out there as well fruit mm -hmm. juice as well so um, you can even have some warm like a mold um we do a, um our slow gin i did a, a bungie christmas market last year we did a mold like slow gin um with apple juice and cinnamon and that sort of thing and it was warm that was oh mm -hmm. that was lovely so there's so many different ways to drink them whereas with a with a gin you've just got a gin with a mixer I believe <laughs> might be proved wrong. <laughs> so it sounds like you you've sort of devised this little niche really in in the market, which you know wasn't necessarily of your choosing, but it's just the area that you you understand, you get it, you know where the contents come from, and therefore you can offer something into the market that is different. That's because right. Because of how it is. Yeah, and also because you know I firmly believe if you're going to do a business do a business on something you're passionate about and that you yeah. love you know, I love my drinks mm. and you know when someone comes to the store and says oh wow that's like the best slow gin I've ever had that you sort of think oh you know I'm, I'm doing I'm doing good I'm doing all right so um but yeah I, I'm just I'm, I think the, the good thing for me as well is I can I can change my flavors all the time I, I'm, I love working with herbs so I'm perhaps looking at doing something with lemon verbena or maybe another lavender flavour. So, um, you know, always sort of looking at ways to sort of make new flavours. So I don't want someone to come to my stall every 
year and see exactly the same flavors every time. So the beauty of my product is I can evolve, I can change the flavors with the seasons as well. So. Oh, that sounds amazing. So you've already explained what you don't want to become because you said you don't really want to be in a factory producing masses and then having to um, sell it into supermarkets to, to make it work. So how do you see the future for you? What, what do you see evolving within the business? To be honest, I'm, I'm quite happy ticking along as I, are, as I am. Um, I wouldn't want to work with anyone else now, you know, if a Amanda's not with me anymore, but I, I wouldn't now want to get someone else in to replace her. That you know, I'm quite happy um, doing everything on my own, so to speak. Mm. Um, I think it's just a case of perhaps um, trying to get in a few more stockists. Um, you know, just sort of growing social media, which is quite difficult. Putting things on, you know, remembering things to put on there, sort of every day or so, um, interesting things. Um, but yeah, just sort of, you know, maybe uh, winning a few more great taste awards would be nice. So we didn't enter this year, but maybe next year I'll put another flavour in. So we've got two great taste awards, one for our rhubarb gin and the other one on the gooseberry vodka. So but, but we're really proud of that. That's quite a good achievement. Yeah, no, that sounds very good. And um, it sounds to me as though, as well as creating everything from local produce, it sounds to me as though... You're really looking to have it stocked and sold locally as well doesn't sound as though you're going too far afield no and also when i do events it's not just going there to do sales i do get approached at every event by at least one person whether it's like excuse me a wine bar or a pub or a small deli you know it doesn't matter um so you know i might not perhaps have a brilliant day on sales but i might get a lead for someone who wants to buy quite a few bottles off me so it's just me. I've got a good following. I'm really proud of what Amanda and I have achieved and what I'm going to achieve going forward. But I just, you know, unless Adams want to buy my company out and it help me expand at you, know, Dragon's Den, when we cross that bridge. But um, at the moment, yeah, it's just tiny me. <laughs> so how do people find you, um, Karen, if they're looking to, uh, to, to see what you've got to, to sell? Yeah, so I've got um, my website, which has an online shop, so I can post anywhere in the UK. It's www.thetinytipplecompany.co.uk. We've even sent whiskey up to Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm also on all the social media platforms, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Um, so it's the Tiny Tipple Company. Um, and all my contact details are on the website as well, so people can email or phone. Yeah, very good. And um, yeah, the fact that you can tell people exactly where everything's from, I think, is just fantastic. It really does help people understand that you care about what goes into the product. Yeah, exactly. And just just to get them proper fresh fruit flavours, you know, someone will come along and try this. I don't know, the say, for example, the gooseberry vodka and say, wow, it really does taste of gooseberries. And I was like, yeah, well, that's what that's what <laughs> it's got out on the side. <laughs> gooseberries. Because I think people are so let down now by what I was saying earlier, by have these liqueurs ever had ever seen a gooseberry or a raspberry. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we've all been spoiled and, and probably had our taste buds ruined by um, artificial flavourings, haven't we, over <laughs> the last you know, 20 or 30 years. And so when we really do taste the proper thing, then... It, it sort of reawakens the senses a little bit, doesn't it? it that's exactly right, yes. 
Karen, it's been really brilliant just finding out a little bit about the Tiny Tibble Company and the work you're doing in Blunderson. That sounds amazing that you've got such an incredible focus on where the product comes from, whether it's from your allotment or from the hedgerows, but it's all local and you're looking to provide that locally as well. It's absolutely wonderful. Now, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Colin. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Suffolk Money podcast. Please do subscribe with your uh, podcast provider of choice. Uh, We would really appreciate it if you could rate this and uh, if you can give us maximum points. We'd really value that. It just helps other people to find the work that we do. And I just want to uh, also uh, suggest that you might want to get in touch if there's any good stories or um, activities that are going on in Suffolk that you would like us to pick up and find out some more about. So thank you so much uh, to my team for Sally who does uh, all the booking, uh, for Joy who does all the work in the background and for Kevin who makes all this sound wonderful so thank you so much team thank you for all that you do and thank you so much for listening